So you bought rental properties so they can create more time and financial freedom, but the problem is you're spending a lot of time managing the properties. How do we automate our properties so that it's creating more time instead of costing it? How do we as landlords protect our investments, our time and our progress so that we can scale our portfolio? That's the question we're going to answer in this podcast. My name is Sam Kwok and this is the Landlording Automated Podcast. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Sam Kwok here. Welcome back to another episode of Landlording Automated Podcast. And we have a special guest today. We got Mr. Kevin Greer. And before I introduce him over to you guys, uh, just a little bit, make sure that you guys are on track. Uh, for those who have not gotten the book yet, uh, the shipping has been delayed. Uh, so for those who are listening, grabbing the book, uh, shipping has delayed just a little bit. So uh, just to make sure that you guys get the announcements ahead of time. So anyway, uh, I want to introduce you guys to Mr. Kevin Greer. And I got his bio. So he's Kevin's a 20-year veteran uh, mortgage banker and commercial real estate specialist who has co- closed over $200 million in real estate financial transaction. His specialty is in deal analysis and underwriting, structuring and securing financing. Kevin has participated in bank REO committees and disposition teams. Kevin is also a multifamily investor and currently owns a 12 unit on the south side of Chicago. Lastly, Kevin is a family man with, uh, with wife and four kids, aka four tenants. In his <laughs> um, but Kevin, so good to have you here and, and thank you so much for jumping onto our podcast. Oh, man. Thank you, uh, Sam. I appreciate uh, the opportunity and I've been following you and your brother, uh, you know, for a while. So you guys are doing an excellent job with your podcast and, and, um, you know, everything, your your blog, website and the things that the information that you guys provide. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Kevin, my understanding is uh, you're both a real estate investor, but you're also a commercial real estate banker, right? You also originate right. commercial real estate loans. Uh, one thing yeah. I want to talk about, because a lot of my audience listening to this, um, and I can only assume, uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they have single family, four units. Some of them are going to ha- have eight units, 12 units. But I want to talk about, um, and we'll get to some of the underwriting analysis, analysis in a bit, but what, what sure. are the main differences right off the right out of the gate. What, what are the main differences of getting a residential loan, uh, mm-hmm. you know, single family through four unit apartment building, as opposed to five plus unit apartment buildings? What are the immediate differences that you see um, as an investor yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I mean, well, as an investor, yeah. um, the difference is that if you have like a single family home, let's say um, mm-hmm. a two unit, um, you know, you have with the single family home, I mean, I've had a, a few of those, you know, you just have your, your one tenant, obviously. And, um, and if you have that one tenant has issues, then obviously, they, whatever, for whatever reason, they can't pay the rent, then that means that you still have to cover the rent. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, cover the mortgage. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, there are obviously pros and cons. I mean, you know, the pro is that you're dealing with one tenant. And, you know, you, you don't be able to deal with that one tenant and communicate and and manage the property a little bit more efficiently but on the downside on the uh, uh, on the con side like i said if that one tenant doesn't pay rent or is having trouble then you have to cover the mortgage and um deal with all the expenses on top of that right right and then the transition to the multifamily. uh the good thing is for example with my 12 unit i mean it only takes um two maybe three tenants to pay the rent and I cover the mortgage. Mm-hmm. So if I have, um, say a couple other tenants that for whatever reason can't pay the rent, then I still had a mortgage covered. Right. So, so, so it's about scaling. 
Yeah. So what, what, what about, do you think in, and more so from the finance financing side of things, um, what do you see as a difference? Cause obviously if, if a landlord is used to buying a single family to four unit and they're used to dealing with, uh, you know, certain types of mortgages, um, as a, as a commercial real estate lender, what, what do you see differently when you're financing or when you're underwriting? What are right. some of the things that as an investor, I should expect walking into a commercial real estate lend- lender? Right. Well, the, the main thing, and unlike residential where it's, um, you know, we, the first thing we're going to look at is uh, as a residential on the residential side is mm-hmm. credit score and, right. and, 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 and assets and so forth and experience. But on the, multifamily side on the commercial side, the first thing we do is I analyze the property. So mm-hmm. I ask for current rent rolls, uh, ask for operating statements showing the income and expenses, and then I plug those numbers into our, uh, our uh, underwriting analysis mm-hmm. spreadsheet and come up with a debt service to make sure that the property cash flows properly. Right. That is the first step. Mm. Um, and then, you know, then we look at the individual, um, guarantor. Mm. Interesting. So it's a critical step. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so it, it, in the commercial space, it's, it's less about obviously the borrower's capacity. And I'm sure that's, that's a big factor, right? Sure. Obviously if, if, if the, the borrower doesn't have the ability to pay, then, you know, that's an issue. So, so you're saying it's more of a, more of the subject of the analysis is more so on the asset than the correct to itself absolutely that's the first thing we look at if we can't get past that yeah then you know you, you have to move on to another deal so it sounds like uh, it, it would behoove of the the investor um to know how the banks underwrite right because if in order to pass by you obviously it has you know it ha- there has to be some check marks green check marks uh that needs to go through the bank so it's so as as a 21 year year banker uh, veteran what advice do you want to give to investors? What are some of the numbers that the investors should be looking at when transitioning into the commercial space? Mm-hmm. Well, the main thing is um, when you're transitioning mm-hmm. is one, um, building your cash reserves, especially during this period of uh, COVID-19, uh, banks and lenders are yeah. requiring you know, more cash reserves. At my bank, at Bank Financial, we uh, we only require three months reserves, which is good versus say, you know, if you're trying to go agency, you know, Fannie Freddie, you know, mm-hmm. they might want 12 months. It used to be more, but they kind of yeah. came down a little bit. So the, the key is having those reserves um, when you transition into multifamily, larger multifamilies, um, having those reserves and then obviously we want to see that you have some sort of experience. So mm-hmm. um, whether you're dealing with, whether you uh, have dealt with single families or you've dealt with say two, three, four units, we want to be able to show that you have the ability to uh, understand the numbers and manage the properties properly. Right. So uh, for those obviously um, listening that, that, that really quite, doesn't understand lingo what what do you mean by reserve what 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 is that number is that mm-hmm. someone's monthly savings or is that a certain percentage mm-hmm. of the loan um could you tell us a bit more about that yeah absolutely that's a great question so reserves basically are um showing that you have the ability to pay the mortgage and can in ah. case the tenants can't pay so then essentially three months reserves comes to three months of the principal and interest payment 
okay. on the loan. So the so if your mortgage payment is just for simplicity, uh, you know, two thousand dollars a month, then you need to have at least six thousand in reserves, and that's not including your down payment. Right. Right. Awesome. Yeah. That, that that's great. And and the next thing I I want to kind of cover, and and obviously, um, this this is. I'm asking you as also as also as an investor, but also from the banking side of things. Uh, oftentimes, I recommend my listeners when you uh, are dealing with a tenant, um, a tenant wants to come and rent your uh, apartment unit. When you're doing their background check and doing their credit check and looking at their income and all that, uh, I often say, "Hey, you know, treat like treat the process like as if they're getting a loan, right? You know, you mm-hmm. have to sort of put on a hat, you know, a banker hat, and say, "Hey." pretend that you're underwriting for a loan mm-hmm. in a way you are because you know you're, you're offering housing and you're expecting them to pay every month um you know for a certain time 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 period um so what are some of the things as a as an individual landlord what are some of the things you should be underwriting looking at a tenant um and obviously i'm asking you from from more of a landlord perspective but i think also as a bank perspective you, you can also give some insights to things that we should be looking at their credit um you know, background info. Uh, what, what are some of the things you, you think you'd be able to share with us on that? Yeah, that's a really good question, uh, Sam, and, and especially for your, for, you know, for your mm-hmm. um, audience. Um, you know, it's interesting because, um, like I said, I have a 12 unit on the south side. So, um, you know, obviously, it's, you know, we're talking about, you know, a, a C class, C plus class uh, building in, yeah. in, in area. So to be honest with you, my main concern is one that they have a stable job. Right. So what that means to me is that um, if they just started working at, just say for example, McDonald's three months ago, to me that's you know, um, I don't consider that stable. Mm-hmm. So um, I look for the stability. The first thing I look at is the stability of the job if they've been working, you know, over year over one year over two years so so think about it like this if you apply for a residential mortgage to buy a house they need two years of employment right right so i like to see at least two years of consistent employment in a in a in a position you know not you know i mean obviously you just want the 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 time frame and and obviously i have to calculate from a finance perspective i calculate their debt service so if they're if they have uh, fully credit and if they have a lot of debt and they only make $2,000 a month and they paying out, you know, 50 plus percent of that towards debt and car notes, mm-hmm. then that's a, that's kind of a red flag. And then from there, you know, obviously we look at the credit score and I'm not really, um, I don't really make a big stink about credit scores because, you know, we, we all had credit issues at one point. So, Unless there is a major issue like an IRS tax lien or, um, you know, you start seeing uh, bad reports or judgments mm-hmm. from previous landlords, I don't really make a big stink about it because, you know, we can deal with credit. Right. And I, I, I love how you, you, you instinctively gave us everything in terms of, uh, you know, certain ratio and numbers, right? Uh, I think right. that's one thing that our, you know, landlords, especially just getting started, they lack that, um, that, that observation. They lack that analysis in terms of uh, why th- those numbers are important, such as, you know, if their debt-to-income ratio is high, that's a pretty, pretty good indicator that they, they could go default in the future because, you know, if, if they can't pay for food, you know, if it comes down to 
and this is obviously what we're looking at right now during the pandemic, right? If, if it comes mm-hmm. down to feeding yourself versus paying the rent, you know, most cases they'll feed themselves, right? When they don't right. want to go hungry. Um, so right. you, um, yeah. One other thing about that though, Sam, it, it really boils down to um, just your gut, you know, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, um, uh, when I first acquired the building, one of my tenants, um, she never, she always lived with her aunt. She never rented before. And I met with her and she told me, she said, look, I'm in a you know bad situation where I'm at and I like the unit. I want to, you know, she was, she's working for Comcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't even quite a year, but I can, you know, I can, just got the gut feeling that she was sincere. She told me she would make sure she paid her rent, mm-hmm. um, you know, and did a little bit of investigation. I, I actually, you know, asked her to get a co-signer from her mom, which mm-hmm. um, her mom agreed. And I just got a good feeling that she would she would pay the rent. I mean, you just got to go by your gut versus if you meet someone and, and you start feeling, you know, like, no, this person, you know, you know, is not, I don't think that they, yeah. you know, be honest with me. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I, I, I always go, I think, I think for me, my parameters in terms of going with the gut is with, within the bounds that they qualify. Um, if, mm-hmm. if I see five people that qualify and obviously the, the, we got to follow fair housing laws, uh, fair housing rules and whoever qualifies first, I, I usually go for that. But, um, right. you know, within the bounds of, okay, this person, you know, applied first and, uh, you know, they, they have good credit, uh, background is, is good, solid income. Um, their, their financial, financial looks great uh, across the ball, bo- across the board. Um, I, I would get a good gut feeling about that too. You know what I mean? So um, I, I would, for me, I, I go with the gut feeling when, when the parameters are right. Um, but even that, I, I try to make sure, obviously I buy by um, fair housing rules and, and things like that. But yeah, that's, that's an interesting take that, um, um, that you, you've gave us on that. Um, um, cause I, I actually wouldn't have expected that, that from a, from a numbers guy like you, Kevin. So, um, but I mean, you can expand, expand more upon that uh, obviously, but, um, that, that's just been my case when it comes yeah. to underwriting tenants. Right. Well, I mean, like, again, it really just depends on where your property is located yeah. and, and, the, and the type of property. And, you know, I mean, obviously if you have something in a, in a, a class area or, mm-hmm. you know, then I'm sure you're going to probably get people with excellent credit, you know, solid job and savings and all that versus yeah. someone in a different area. So it just really just depends on where your property is located. Yeah. And I, I would argue that, uh, you know, a plus type of apartment building, uh, it's actually harder to get a tenant, uh, because you're almost, almost looking for a perfect, you know, poster boy tenant, um, you, you know, perfect 800, right. 800 FICO right. score. And they, they, you know, they're making $20,000 a month. I mean, it's almost, mm. I think it's harder because you have a smaller pool of tenants that are actually sure. in that type of situation. Whereas, you know, someone who's renting out an eight hundred thousand dollar apartment, B class, right? You're you're more so going after the the sort of the middle class, so to speak, right? right. There's, there's a bigger pool of tenants mm-hmm. there. Um, but go, transitioning back into the commercial lending side of things, um, this I think this is this is an appropriate uh, question because I think this you're you've been in the space for such a long time, you've seen it, you've seen it all. Where do you think? What do you think where we are at in terms of you know? A lot of my listeners are also invested in five plus unit apartments. So what do you think we're at in terms of financing? Uh, do you think mm-hmm. the banks are getting tighter? Do you think the lending is getting, getting tighter? Do you see mm-hmm. that in the next 
three to five years, commercial lending is going to feel the, the heat? What, what do you think? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a crazy year. Um, yeah. So uh, obviously, um, when the virus hit and, and mm-hmm. a lot of lenders either, one, stopped lending altogether, right. uh, two, uh, which most of them, a lot of them did, uh, changed their guidelines, right? So mm-hmm. what they did was they lowered their loan of values. For example, at my bank, Bank Financial, we used to go up to 80% loan of value, and then we lowered it down to 70. Mm-hmm. And then as things eased up, um, you know, we take a pulse of the market, and we just increased it back up to 75% loan of value. And then they require more cash reserves. That becomes right. a critical piece. And on top of that, we want to see that your tenants or uh, at least 90% of them have paid rent for the month of uh, April, May, Mm. and June, right? So I think going forward, as we come out of this, most lenders and banks are going to be very, very cautious. Um, The guidelines are still going to be, I think the guidelines are going to stay tight. Mm -hmm. Um, Cash reserves are going to be critical. Loan to value is going to be lower. And then they're gonna want they're gonna look at experience, right? So um, I think a lot of lenders are gonna be slow to come back in the market. I've done, I've got a closing tomorrow from an out-of-state borrower buying here in Chicago, a multi-unit, and he went through three banks. Wow! And finally, the uh, realtor on the deal, um, I had actually done some marketing to the realtor, and he called me immediately. I said, oh, wow, you lending? And he referred the deal to me, and we're closing it tomorrow. But, you know, this guy, he has strong reserves. He owned a couple other properties in the area, and uh, he was okay with the 25% down. Yeah. Yeah. So I think going forward, it's going to be very tight, but you still can acquire properties, multi-units, and um, banks like mine, you know, we have to lend. So we want to lend. Right but you just got to be prepared. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it sounds like, um, you know, the banks aren't making the same mistake twice from, you know, what we've seen in 2008, 2009. Right. Um, yeah. I think, uh, well, we didn't foresee that happening. Um, right. You know, 2005, 2006, some people did, right. Some people saw the numbers, you know, they saw that there was a lot of subprime lending happening um, and, and, greater demands for mortgages in general because of how much mortgage backed securities were being sold. Um, I think this time the banks are making a smarter move um, in, in terms of obviously tr- trying to shed some of the risk yep. out, out of the market. Um, but do, do you think w- w- this is temporary or do you think th- this is going to be it for the next five years or 10 years? Yeah, I think, I think um, it's going to be, I think this is going to last some time. I, I would say at least through the next three years, maybe three to five years, because mm. Obviously, this is all uh, tied to um, the economy. Right. I mean, we have a lot going on. You know, we have a presidential election coming up. Um, you know, we have to make sure the economy is strong and people are going back to going back to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of moving parts. But going back to um, in terms of the market, for your audience purpose, I think the way to look at it going forward is. I think you need to partner. I think I think it's going to be critical if you don't have certain if you're missing certain um, skill sets. For example, if you have a you know great job and, and good cash reserves, but you don't have say the the experience, mm-hmm. 
then you want to partner up with someone that does have the experience. And I think um, I think you can get some deals done in the next few years, right. which is going to be a lot of opportunity. I got another deal that came in. Um, it's actually three guys that are buying um, a six unit. Mm-hmm. And they kind of complement each other because, you know, one doesn't have cash reserves, one has good credit, one has experience. And so we, you know, I packaged that deal and all three of them are guarantors on a loan and we I got it approved. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's going to be critical for your audience to understand that, it, it, you know, you have to complement one in each other so you can get some deals done. Absolutely. And I love that point because that, that, that's honestly how Daniel and I grew, right? We didn't have any money. We didn't have any credit. Uh, I mean, we had credit, but it was, you know, our 20, 20 years old, right? 22 years right. old. You, you don't have much of a credit history. Um, so, um, you know, it, it, was, it was difficult for us, but being able to partner with people and raising capital that way definitely was a way to, to, to overcome that challenge. But, and also, even when we got our commercial financing done uh, three years ago, that's how we did it, right? As, 24, 25 years old, uh, we were able to get a $1.5 million loan because we had partners and, uh, you know, ways to raise money. So there's always ways around. There's always ways to overcome those types Mm -hmm. of challenges, uh, which I love the fact that you point that out. So Kevin, kind of wrapping things up, uh, I want the listeners to, uh, to talk to you, right? Um, So how can we do that? uh, Where, where could they find you to get some help when it comes to commercial financing? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, you know, always looking to help people. I mean, you know, that, that's, you know, I love to see people go grow from A to Z, but my, my cell phone is 312-525-1131. And my email at Bank Financial is kgreer at bankfinancial.com. And I'm also somewhat active on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And so that's a good way to uh, reach out to me. I'm on Facebook also, but more heavily on active on LinkedIn. Yeah, definitely. Definitely appropriate for what you do. I mean, do, if, so, people, yeah. if your artist has uh, deals that they are looking at and they, they, they need some analysis or just, mm-hmm. just, you know, just to understand the deal, uh, I would love to help out. I mean, because all I need is a rent roll and operating statement and I'll run it through my numbers and I'll say, hey, you know, these are the numbers. This is what you need to do to prepare to buy it. Right. Even if they're just looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the lesson from this podcast really, uh, and for, for me, um, you know, I've taken away, you know, you have to, when you're underwriting a deal, um, even before you approach the bank, you got to under, underwrite just like how the banks are underwriting it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, if, mm-hmm. if you're, and you have to think of the banks like, like almost like a partner, right? Because they, they want to lend, uh, but right. they just want to land on good deals, right? So, you know, you have to sort of align with what the banks are doing as far as okay, what is a good deal for the banks and how, how right. can I align that to my own financial goals, um, right. Obviously, the banks want you to cash flow. The banks want you to make mm-hmm. money. The banks want you to have strong financial uh, health and in, 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 in mm-hmm. investing. Um, right. So you want to align yourself with that. Um, so, Kevin, thank you so much for being gracious with sharing your wisdom and knowledge. Uh, what Any last parting words for my audience and listeners of this podcast? You know, the main thing is don't be afraid. You know, just, just yeah. jump in. You know, you're ne- you, you don't know until you you know, get in there and, and jump in and do some analysis and don't be afraid. The opportunity is there and you will feel better once you start getting comfortable. And the only way to do is to start looking at some deals. 
Absolutely, absolutely. So, with that being said, everybody, uh, thank thank you for listening to the podcast. Obviously, and and you guys uh, can get Kevin's information. By the way, if you're listening on podcast, uh, our podcast via Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you'll see it in the description down below uh, or wherever you're watching. And if you enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot of it, send it to us by Instagram or tag us or, or put it on your story. Uh, we would love for us to have a conversation. And obviously, if you want to get contact with Kevin, uh, we can do so. We can point you to Kevin. Uh, that's not a problem. So Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, yeah, looking forward to having you back on another episode. Yes. Thank you, Sam. And I appreciate your audience. Yeah. Have a take good day. You. Yeah. Take care. All righty. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Hey, everybody. This is Sam Kwok here once again. I hope you enjoyed the episode of the Landlording Automated Podcast. Now, if you can automate all the same old repetitive tasks in your property management, how much time do you think you can save? Well, my team is launching a software called Flowmatics that can do just that. We want you to stop spending your precious time, energy, and stress and simply live your life. And that's what the software can ultimately do. So just head over to automatemyproperties.com and check out how Flowmatics can save you money, time, and energy by automating your properties. Again, that's automatemyproperties.com. Go and check it out and start living your life without the stress and waste of energy.